By way of review, Corinth is a town that was in Greece. It's it's in Greece. And so Paul, the apostle, was on a missionary journey. And as he he comes to this town, he he realizes that in this particular town, they they worship many gods. And so Paul finds a group of Jewish people who have a copy of the scriptures, and he begins a Bible study with them. And that begins the church, and it continues on, and the church just continues to grow. And so as it grows, uh, we learn a little bit about Paul's methodology in uh, the first verse that's there on your outline. And uh, it's a verse we've looked at many times, and it says, so Paul stayed there a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Paul's methodology in the church was to teach the word of God to to the people who were there. God used that, and and it grew the church. So after a year and a half, Paul hands the church off to another pastor, and he continues on in his missionary journey. Over the next few years, and it's somewhere between five, seven years, some people suggest ten, but probably five to seven years that Paul's been absent from the church, they've drifted away from from Bible study and began to go into certain other things that Paul would never teach and he he would never do. It's in that time where a number of other teachers are coming into the church and they begin to teach some very strange thing and pra- strange things and practice uh, strange things that Paul would say, what, what in the world are you doing? And so Paul has been writing and dealing with these things, these false teachers, as Paul calls them, who've come into the church. And we've been looking at that since the very beginning. So this, this book is heavy on dealing with the false teachers and false teachings that have come into the church. So the problems that they faced in the first church are the same problems that we face today. And so we'll see that as we we travel through. So as Paul writes this, again, he's writing about some of the things that he sees going on in the church. So here's a verse that we looked at back in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, there on your outline. He says, so we are not like many, and underline that word many, peddling the word of God. And uh, when we were there, we looked at that word many, and that word many can also be translated as mostly. The idea, it's more than 50%, it's more than half is the idea. And so Paul looks at this church and says, you have been taken over by those who are now peddling the word of God. And then we looked at the word peddling, and the word peddling means to be a retailer. And we talked about how a retailer looks out over the market and says, what do you think those people would buy? And so the retailer begins to sell what they think people would be most interested in buying. So it starts with what the people want, not with what the people need. So Paul says, we are not like the many. The idea is we didn't come and peddle the word of God. We came and told you the truth, whether you liked it or not. And so we're not like those who are trying to gain uh, an audience by telling the people what it is that that they want to hear. Paul said, we we didn't do that. Well, also, uh, it was just two chapters after that. uh, Paul says this there in your outline. He says, nor do we distort the word of God. And some of your translations would say, nor do we adulterate the word of God. So in that church at that time, that was going on. And we looked at that definition of that, that word distort or to adulterate. And it's, it's uh, there in your outline. I've actually put it there today uh, to distort. The word there in the original language is duluo. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. It means to corrupt, especially by mingling the truths of God with false doctrines. Anytime you, you mingle something, it always dilutes it. So if, if you, you, know, you, you mingle water with milk, the, the milk is then diluted. And so they were mingling things that were not of God, and that was diluting the truth of God. 
So Paul would say, when we came there, we didn't water down the word in order to make it more appealing to the audience. We, we just said, this is what it, what it says. So he would say, we didn't mix it with, say, uh, popular philosophy, popular psychology, or popular culture. We, we just came and very simply gave you the word of God. Now, another way of, of uh, looking at that word, and some of your, your Bibles will even say that, Paul would say we, we didn't twist the Scripture, which is another way of looking at that. We didn't twist the Scripture to make it say what we wanted to say. It was at that time when we, we looked at that, we were reminded when Jesus was tempted by Satan, the first thing that Satan does is he shows up and he begins to quote Scripture. And as he quotes Scripture, he takes it out of context, kind of distorts it a little bit, and then Jesus has to put it back in its context and comes back with Scripture. And the, the point is that, that Paul says, we didn't do that. But false teachers will always twist Scripture to make it say what they want it to say. And the truth is you can make the Bible say anything that you want it to say. So Paul says, we, we didn't distort it, we didn't adulterate it, we, we didn't twist it in, in any way. So how are they doing that? Well, again, as we've been traveling through this book, we found a number of ways that they were twisting Scripture, adulterating, and, and, and all that. And, but there were two that have stood out the most. Now, one of them, one of them was that, that as uh, the, these false teachers would come in, they would say, you know, it's great that you've accepted Jesus. And now that you've accepted Jesus, Jesus will now empower you to, to really keep, and what they would do is give a, a list of rules, rituals, and regulations that you had to keep in order to be spiritual. And in that case, it was what was, re, it was, what was referred to as the Old Testament law. They would say, Jesus is empowering you now to really keep the Old Testament law. And Paul says, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. And, um, and so we do that today. We do that today. And uh, many of us have been around the church block and we've been in places where the Bible doesn't talk about it, but we have these lists of rules and the things that we do and we evaluate one another to see how spiritual they are, not because of what the Bible says, but what our list of rules say. And uh, when we were there, I said, how many of you come from a, a background like that? And several hands went up. And So how many of you come from a background like that? Okay, so good. Yes, I see the hand in the back. Hands going up, thousands of hands going up all over the auditorium. So that was one of the ways that they were distorting the Word of God. They were adding to it and making it say, something that it was never intended to say. Now, another teaching that we saw that was very pervasive in this church, that the false teachers came in and they were teaching as they peddled the Word of God, is that they were teaching that Jesus came and He died to now come alongside of us to help us accomplish all of our dreams, our goals, our aspirations. And uh, that, that he would really come and help us to achieve great things. Now there's an element of that that is true. God loves to bless his children, just like you love to bless your children. He, he does want to come alongside of us. But they held, if you looked at it, that really Jesus came to help us to live for ourselves at, at just a, a much greater level and maybe as nicer people. But it was all about us. And the false teachers, as they taught, they would teach things and they would say, they would say, you know, if you were really in the center of God's will, then God is going to bless, bless, bless. He's going to be opening doors and, and just if you stay in the center of God's will, that's where you're going to find that place of blessing. And so they, they taught that. And then they would say, so how can you follow Paul? 
Because you look at his life and everywhere he goes, he gets arrested, he gets thrown in prison, he gets beat up, he's always broke. You know, he doesn't seem to be walking in abundance. He must not be in the center of God's will. To which Paul responded, saying, You want to talk about abundance? Here's abundance. And so there in your outline, Paul said, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in, what's that word? Abundance. Paul says, that's how it's worked out for me. God loves to bless his his people. But you're going to find as you walk with the Lord that there's going to come a time where God's going to call you to walk with him and it might not be in blessing, blessing, blessing. It might be that he calls you like Paul and like many others to walk through a time where you just have to be faithful and walk through that time. Paul dealt with that. So the the false teachers were teaching that it was all about you. He comes to help you live your dreams, your goals. It was so bad that Paul had to say this there in your outline from verse uh, chapter five, verse fifteen. He said, "He says he died for all." Speaking of Jesus, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Paul says it's not about Jesus coming to then help us accomplish our dreams, our goals, our aspirations, which is you know all, all wonderful stuff. It was about Jesus dying in our place, and then you and I responding by now living our lives for him. This was very foreign thinking to the church in Corinth. It's very foreign thinking to the church at large today. So Paul writes about that. It got so bad that by the time Paul got to chapter 11, and a couple of weeks ago we skipped forward to chapter 11, Paul says this there in your outline. He says it's another Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. He says right now, as he looks at the church, he says, as I look at you, I realize that you're following not the Jesus of the Bible, not the historic Jesus, but it's another Jesus. It's a Jesus that you've created in keeping with your own desires. And then he says, and it's coming from a different spirit, it's just not the Holy Spirit. He says, and sadly you're following that. He's saying this to a church. He says, and now you're following a different gospel because for you it's all about him coming to help you accomplish your dreams, your goals, and certainly God loves to do that. But for the Corinthians, they'd never come to the place where they respond by now living the rest of their lives for him. Later in that same chapter, in chapter 11, as he talks about the false teachers who had come into the church, he says this there in your outline. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as the apostles of Christ. The the Corinthians had so walked away from what you and I might call biblical Christianity, the biblical Jesus, that they could no longer even recognize the true Jesus from the false Jesus. And so they had listened to these teachers who had distorted the word so much that they could no longer recognize the truth. And then we looked uh, in that chapter when we were there, we looked and Paul said, and I love this part, Paul said, you know, it's so bad what I'm seeing in the church because I look at the church and here's what you're putting up with. And here's what he says. There in your outline he says, for you, you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, if anyone exalts himself, if anyone hits you in the face, to my shame. I love that last line. He goes, to my shame, I must say, we've been weak by comparison. The idea is Paul says, I never behave that way to you, but these false teachers are. 
And then we broke that down. He says, they enslave you. And we talked about that referred to legalism. There's this list of things that you have to keep to be right with God. And the Bible doesn't speak about that. They devour you. They, were feeding, they, they weren't feeding the flock, but they're fleecing the flock, uh, taking advantage of you. They were using their position for personal gain and they exalt themselves. They were saying to the church, you know, I have this deep spiritual teaching, this uh, mystical understanding. And if you follow my teaching, you can have it as though they were something greater than the people. Paul never did that. And, uh, and then finally, my, the last one is so much fun. He says, or they hit you in the face. And uh, we talked about, it wasn't that they were actually punching him in the face, but you go to church each week and it's a weekly beating. And then I said, how many of you come from a church background where it was a weekly beating? And hands went up. Anybody here? Yes. Okay. A couple of hands. Good, good, good. So we probably went to the same church. Who knows? But it, either way. Now, I shared all of that um, in one sense by way of review. We probably won't do that again before we leave the book. I shared that because it's in response to all that Paul sees going on in the church that at some point in Paul's ministry, he chose to make certain decisions about who he would be and how he would do ministry. And so as our story begins today, we're going to talk about some decisions that are just good decisions and they would be the, the decisions that spiritually mature people make. I would say this is, uh, these are decisions that a church, if a church is going to be spiritually mature, it's the decisions a church would make. Uh, for people, for you and I, as if we're going to have a spiritually mature marriage, spiritually mature parenting, these are the decisions that Paul would make. And so I thought about skipping this today but, and having you just read to the end, but I said, ah, we'll, we'll, we'll go through it. So if it goes really bad, then we'll all know. So we'll, we'll see. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 10, verse 1. And we, we started here last week, so a little of this was by way of review. But Paul, as he begins to talk about the decisions that he made and why, he says, now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness, and underline that, we did that last week, and gentleness of Christ. He says, I who am meek, some of your Bibles will say timid, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. And so this is the verse that begins to unlock the rest of the chapter. Last week and this week I put it from a literal translation there in your outline. And here's what it says. Paul says, and I, Paul, myself do call upon you through the meekness and gentleness of the Christ, who in presence indeed, and underline humble among you, and being absent have courage towards you. So last week when we were here, we, we talked about very different than the false teachers who had come in and began to do things within the church uh, as they criticized how Paul did ministry. Paul says, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, the idea is that I'm doing ministry in humility because my mentor is Jesus, and Jesus chose to do ministry in meekness and gentleness, to which the false teachers would say, you can't do ministry that way, nobody's going to follow you. So I had you underline that word humble in that verse, so write this down. So Paul's saying, you know, if, if I'm humble among you, it's because my mentor chose to minister that way. So choosing the ministry of Jesus as the example, Paul chose a humble approach to ministry. Jesus was the one who modeled that true spiritual authority, true spiritual power is found in gentleness 
and meekness. It's not in throwing your weight around. It's not in lording it over people. Uh, it's, it's in gentleness and meekness. And so because of that, Paul refused to ever brag about his accomplishments, his greatness. Everything that he did pointed to Jesus and Jesus alone. So the first decision that Paul makes, which is a decision for those who would choose to be spiritually mature, is simply this. Uh, write this down. Jesus' ministry will be the model for my ministry. So I always want to look and say, would Jesus participate in this? Would, would he really endorse this? I have to tell you, and I won't give examples, but as I look around the church at large, there are things that are going on that, that would cause me to be very suspicious. Would Jesus really participate in this? Uh, there, there can be that sense of arrogance in some ministries, boastfulness, uh, lording it over. But Jesus chose to minister in gentleness and meekness. And so the question there, Jesus, or the decision is Jesus' ministry will be the model for my ministry. And for Paul, it didn't matter what that turned into. What mattered was that Jesus would always be the example. So the question that I want to ask myself as I conduct my life, as I conduct my ministry, as I live my life, would, would Jesus do it this way? Is this the way that he would, would want it done? And so that's a great question. But that was a decision that Paul made. He just chose that Jesus' ministry would be the model for my ministry. And that was very different than the way that the false teachers were coming into the church and they were ministering. Well, last week we, we went through the next few verses, and so I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. And Paul says, here's, here's part of the problem. He says, you're looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. So their problem in the church is they had shifted from looking to Jesus as the example to begin to look at things outwardly. So the false teachers had come into the church and they were teaching things like, well, if you look at us, uh, we're blessed, we're prospering, and uh, you know, God seems to be blessing our ministry. But if you look at Paul, you go, you know, he's not really blessed. He's beat up. He's thrown into prison. He's always broke. So how can you follow somebody like Paul? Paul says, well, you're looking at things as they are outwardly. And many were listening to the teachings of the false teachers. And in this verse, it tells us that they were going so far as to conclude that Paul might not even be saved because his life wasn't blessed like theirs, like theirs would be. Let's read verse 7 again, and we'll see that as we travel. He says, you're looking at things as they are outwardly. He says, look, if anyone's confident in himself uh, that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, just as he is Christ, so also are we. And the idea is, Paul says, I'm as saved as you guys are. And uh, he might even add to that, maybe even a little bit more, maybe a little bit more. So, so, that, so that, that was the part of the problem. So then we go to verse 8, and we find here's a way that they were looking at things, and which led to another decision that Paul made. Verse 8, he says, for even if I boast somewhat further, what does he boast about? About our authority, which, and you want to underline however your Bible says it, which the Lord gave for building you up and not destroying you, he says, I will not be put to shame. There in your outline, I, I used a slightly different translation, and he says it like this, our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you. 
Paul, as he looks at the false teachers, they were using their authority to keep people under their thumb, to lord it over them, to control them, to take advantage of them. And as we read a few moments ago, to hit them in the face. In church was a, a constant beating. Paul made the spiritually mature decision that in his life and his ministry, uh, there in your outline, you want to write this down. He said, I will use my position to build up God's people. I'll use my position to build up God's people. Hopefully when you come to Calvary, that's what you experience. That's our desire. That's how we choose. We want to do ministry. That We always want to build up the people that God sends this way, to to this, this place. One of our mantra verses is also found in 2 Corinthians. There in your outline, we've referred to it many times. Paul says, not that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. So the idea is that, that we always want to come alongside and be a resource to help you as you grow in your faith, and, and, uh, but we are not here to control you or to lord it over you in any way. And, and that's where you say thank you. Ah, oh, you're welcome. Good. So, so I, I, I wanted to, to uh, add to this a question. Paul has attached in his ministry, and we would say Paul is spiritually mature, He's chosen to do his ministry in a way that builds up God's people. And so the question for us is, is there a place in our life that we can look at and we can say, God is using me here in this place to build up God's people. Spiritual maturity will always be attached to building up God's people. And and I would say that I don't think we can reach a place of spiritual maturity where God's not using us to build up God's people. Paul is kind of the model here, and the decision that he made was that he would use what it is that God's given him to build up God's people. So whether it's, whether it's speaking to the lives of children in children's ministry, whether it's, it's leading a, a small group study where you're, you're encouraging, you're building somebody up, the idea is that spiritual maturity is always attached to building up God's people. Does that make sense? Good, good, good. So it's a great question to ask and to evaluate. Say, where are we at in that? So there's another decision that, that Paul made that wasn't true for the false teachers, but it was true for Paul as somebody who would be spiritually mature. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. He says, for I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters, for they say, here's what they're saying about Paul, his, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is it's unimpressive, and his speech contemptible. And, and the, I'll read verse 11, he says, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word or by letters, when absent, I've underlined the word absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. So there, there's a couple of things here. First of all, they, the false teachers were saying about Paul as they discredited his, his, his ministry in verse 10, they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence, or however your Bible says it, is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. So here's what he's saying. 
you know, Paul, you know, there, there's no glitz, there's no, there's no flair, there's no fashion, you know, just very, very plain and basic. And uh, not only that, your speech is contemptible. The, the idea is that you know, you're not a great orator, you're not a great speaker, you just, you know, so, you, you, you know, there's not that pizzazz in what you're saying, it's just you're just kind of there. And uh, not only that, when you talk, you offend a lot of people. And so that was the criticism. Paul says, I get that. I get that. I've chosen to do ministry not with a lot of flair, not with a lot of glitz, and so my presence is going to be unimpressive, and I'm going to be very, very straightforward in in how I share. So some would say my speech is contemptible. But verse 11, he says, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. Paul had made a decision that spiritually mature people make. And it's simply this. You want to write this down. Paul decided, I will be the same person publicly as I am privately. There's not going to be two different people. So who I am here is the same person I am there. Spiritual maturity involves being the same person when everybody is looking as when nobody's looking. It's the same person. Paul chose, um, Paul chose to be that same person regardless of where he was. And uh, I, I say this, uh, in our family we talk a great deal about being pretenders. We never want to be pretenders. We don't want to come to church and turn it on and have this veneer where everybody thinks that we're, we're one way, spiritual, kind and all that, and then we go home and it's a whole different deal. We don't want that. And if you grew up in a family like that, you know how detrimental that can be. Uh, for instance, if you grew up in a family where mom and dad drove to church and they fought like cats and dogs all the way to church, and then as they pull into the parking lot, it's, hey brother, how are you? That has a terribly detrimental effect spiritually on your children. So we always want to be the same people here as we are at home. We talk a great deal about that to our children. Uh, We don't let our children come up and tell you about us, but (laughs) we, we, we do our very best to be the same. What you see is what you get. That's who we want to be. And uh, I think that's a spiritually mature decision that ministries make, churches make, parents make. You want to be the same. You don't want to be a pretender. We'll move on. Then verse 12, he says, he says, for we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. My Bible says it. Some of your Bibles say they are, they are not wise. How many of your Bibles say they are not wise? Good. Either way, either way, it, it, it works. How do they do that? They were comparing one another. Now one of the first things we saw early in the book is that certain teachers were showing up and they had what we would call letters of commendation. So if you had a letter of commendation, say from the church in Jerusalem, that was considered to be a much better commendation than if you had a commendation from, say, the church of Ephesus or something like that. So they did it that way. Now in our day, the way that it works is somebody shows up, the letters of commendation that we typically have are letters behind our name. So this one says, I have a BA in Bible. Uh, This one says, well, I have an MA, 
an MA REL, Master of Arts in Religion. It says, well, I have a Master of Arts in Theological Studies. Oh, well, I have a Master of Divinity. This one says, I have a Doctor of Ministry. I have a PhD. I have a THD. And so we compare ourselves. And so we say, well, my letters are bigger than your letters, so I must be right and you must be wrong. And so they compared themselves in that way. So that's one way that they would do that. And that's certainly something that happens in the world today and the church at large. Another way that they compared themselves with themselves in the first church, they didn't have church buildings. So they would meet in very large homes. So this group would meet in a church, a home church, and this one would meet in a home church, and this one over here. And, and every once in a while the churches would get together. So these teachers would come in and they would say, okay, well, my, my, my group's really growing, you know, so God's really blessing what I'm doing. Your group, not so much. So God's really blessing what I'm doing. So they would say, so I must be right because God's blessing. But they were comparing themselves with themselves, not, not, not with something much more substantive. Uh, another way that they compared, and this is a way that, that we see today, is that some are coming into the church and they were bringing what we would call legalism. So they'd say, here's our list of things that we do, we don't do. Uh, we, we, you know, there are certain things that we, we do, we don't do, we go here, we don't go here, that sort of thing, that, which the Bible doesn't speak about, but these kind of add-ons. And so they would look at each other and say, well, I don't do what that guy does, so I must be better than that person. This person's doing that while I'm doing this. And so they compared themselves. Basically what they were doing is they were comparing themselves with each other to see how they were doing with Jesus. And Paul says, that's not wise. That's not wise. Against that, Paul makes a spiritually mature decision. So the spiritually mature decision is simply this, and you want to write it down. Jesus will be my standard, not other people. Jesus will be my standard, not other people. See, the question is, am I being who Jesus wants me to be? Not am I being better than the person around me? We're all better than somebody by our own standard. But the truth is, there's somebody better than us, right? But we don't talk about them. So <laughs> the idea is that uh, the spiritually mature doesn't look at other people for their validation. They look at Jesus. He's the standard, not other people. Well, verse 13, he says, but we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God has apportioned to us. And I've underlined that part as a measure to reach even as far as you, the sphere that God has apportioned to us. I, I've put that there on your outline from the NIV because I think it brings it out much clearer. And there in your outline, it just says the field that God has assigned to us, the field that God has assigned to us. Paul said there's a field that God has assigned to us. A field is a place that, that you know where your field is and you know what your field is. And you know that your field is the place where you're going to do your work, you're going to do your investment, this is where you're going to put your energy. And uh, you put that energy in the field that God has assigned to you. And all of us have a little bit different field assigned to us. And the way that this works, there, there's a field that God has assigned to us where where he wants us to put that energy. So the, the way that it works would be in, in my life. In my life, first priority is my relationship with God. If I don't keep that straight, that's not right, everything else begins to disintegrate. The second priority in my life is my relationship with my wife. If I lose that field, I lose a lot, don't I? So I've got to make sure that I'm intentional about that field. That, that's the field where God's called me to put my energies. And I know that. This is my field. 
And then God has given me a certain number of children. And I love the word assigned. He's assigned that. He's given me a big assignment. You know, we, we've got, for those of you who don't know, we've got 12 kids. So anyways, so that's... <laughs> yes, it is a blessing. It's, it's an amazing blessing. I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But, but God's given me these 12 kids, and I want to work in that field in a way I don't want to mess that field up. I don't want to mess that field up. So I'm going to be very intentional about that field. And then expand that as far as the field. The next part of the field would be this church. God has called me here. This is what I'm called to do. And and I love doing this. So I, I love the assignments that God has given me, but I've chosen to make the investments in those. And so in, in doing that, I know what my assignment is that he has assigned to me, and I know what it's not. And so I, I'm not going to leave my assignment and go somewhere else and do that. And, and for what that what means for me is, by and large, um, well, um, what, what, in 19 years of being here, I've only spoken at three other churches. And that's not, not because they don't ask me, but they, you know. So, <laughs> but here, here's the three churches. One was a church that sent us here. One was a church that we sent out and uh, they, they had an ordination. They asked me to come and, and speak at that. And then another is a church where I'm on their board and they built a building. Other than that, I really feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. This is my field. And sometimes if we're not careful what we will do, and we see that in marriages, we see that in parenting, we see that in life, somebody's been given a field and uh, they leave that field to go help some other field over here and they lose the field that God gave them, the assignment that God gave them. I want to be very, very careful to make sure that, that I stay in the field that God has given me. So we, we need to you know, think that through. So go ahead and write this down. Uh, a decision that Paul made along the way, he says, I will serve where God has assigned me and not be bothered by what God has assigned to someone else. When, when you know your field and what it is that God's called you to do, it's very freeing and it's very challenging. It's freeing in the sense that I know I'm not called to go do this, 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 and this because this is where God has called me. It's challenging because as you work in the field that God has for you and you become effective, the opportunities to go do other things increase. And so you always have to be very, very careful to make sure, nope, this is what I'm called to do. Lots of opportunities. I'm doing this. Verse 14 through 17, he says, we're not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is in other men's labors, the false teachers had come in, they were boasting about their group, their ministry, but they were basically boasting in the ministry that God called Paul to, and they were taking the credit for it. So Paul's using a little backhanded reprimand here. Not boasting beyond our measure, verse 15, that is in the men's labors, other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another, which is what the false, uh, false teachers were doing. In verse 17 he says, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. Well, uh, again, the, the false teachers were boasting in in the field that Paul 
God had called Paul, and they were, they were taking credit for that, and they were becoming they were false teachers. Verse eighteen, we have the final decision, which I think is is uh, the most important. He says, "For it is not he who commends himself that is approved," and then underline, "but he whom the Lord commends." Paul had made the decision along the way that he would seek God's commendation over man's. See, at the end of the day, and you want to write that down, at the end of the day, it really only matters what God thinks, what Jesus thinks about what you're doing. Is he the one who commends you, not does everyone else commend you? This past week, um, I'm good friends with many of the pastors in town. There's one pastor, and he has a real passion for Haiti. So he goes down to Haiti quite a bit, does a lot of ministry down there, and uh, he, he got this idea to have a citywide crusade. They'd never done this in the city before. So for the very first time, they were able to get all of the pastors to agree to come together to do the citywide crusade. They've rented a stadium, and, and it's, it's going to be this great thing. We're actually participating in, in, in helping make that, that happen. So he and I were sitting down, we're talking. So, so, so I had this idea, and I went, and I got all the pastors together. We've got this stadium ready. We've got people who are going to come in and speak at this crusade. And so they printed up the flyer, and they have all of the pictures of the people who are speaking, and their little bio, and here's where they're from, here's what they're doing. And he goes, and guess who the one person is whose picture and bio is not even on the flyer? And he goes, mine. They completely left him out. And at the same time, we both said, but God knows but God knows. Now here's what I've learned in life. There's going to come a time where God's going to have you walk through a time where the only commendation that you're going to get is going to come from the Lord. Nobody else is going to realize it, recognize it. They're not going to see it. And that's just part of growing spiritually. And when you're okay with that, that your commendation comes from the Lord and not from other people, that's a good place to be. Because then you know you really care about his kingdom, not your kingdom. Isn't that a great decision? And with that, we're going to go ahead and and, um, close in prayer. May we be a church and individuals who make these decisions for our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that Paul chose to use how you did ministry while you were on the earth as his model for ministry. Thank you, Lord, that he made certain decisions that he said, I will live this way and operate this way regardless of what anybody else thinks, whether they agree with it or not, because he realized at the end of the day, the only thing that mattered was your commendation. Father, help us to be effective in the field that you've given to us. Help us to know what that field is. Help us to operate in that field. Help us to stay within the boundaries of the calling that you've given to each and every one of us. We pray that as a church, we pray that as individuals, that you would make us effective for you and that at the end we would see your commendation on how we conducted ourselves here. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.